It's Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. And with the lovely music of Sharon B, we're back with Mutual Presents. I'm Jack Ward for the Mutual Audio Network. We continue our series with audio replays for this past summer's MadCon 2021 events. This week, on our fourth panel, Jeff Adams of Icebox Radio Theatre hosts a session entitled Lines and Layers, with panelists Lothar Tuppen, Pete Lutz, and Tanya Malevich. You can find all full videos on the Mutual Audio Network channel. Now, let's get the show going. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. Okay, I believe that means there's a recording in progress. And since I have been deemed as a moderator of this panel, welcome to Lines and Layers, which uh, looking at the description, I I thought of it as Jack's kitchen sink panel. Like there's several different (laughs) concepts being discussed. Uh, briefly, I'll throw it around to introduce ourselves. I'll start. I'm Jeff Adams. I'm director of the Icebox Radio Theater in International Falls, Minnesota. Um, a book tag. Lothar, how about you go next? Um, I've been uh, in the audio drama world since 2010. I've worked with groups like Pendant, Broken Sea, Electric Vicuna, Lightning Bolt Theater of the Mind with uh, Tanya, and a bunch of other stuff. And um, yeah, uh, I've made uh, The Sword of the Crimson Tatters, The Degaussian, uh, The Tainted Noctuary, and other various things. Fantastic. And uh, there's another Jeff. So Jeff to the B. Yes. Thank you very much. Welcome, everyone. Uh, My name is Jeff Billard. I'm a a retired theater professor, 40 years doing that. Uh, I did my first audio drama back in the 80s when I was teaching a class and uh, we were using uh, cassette recorders and uh, it was wonderful. And uh, so I've been uh, doing that for a long time and uh, I'm an acting teacher and a director and theater and a producer, and uh, happy to be here with everyone. Thank you so much. Now, I, I see well, a Philip uh, Robothan, Robothan, who is uh, listed on I don't our, believe he's in the, I don't believe he's in the- He's not here, panel. we just have his robot. Oh, wait. Sorry, guys. Um, Jack oh. actually forgot to, to take me back out into the audience. We were just having a chat before this started. So I'm gonna mute and hide from you. Very well. <laughs> we shall send will, the authorities to the suite. I will disable his talking and maybe that will help. There we go. <laughs> One of the ways that Zoom improves on actual human interaction. Yeah. Uh, and Tanya, tell us about you. Oh, you're muted. Um, so yeah. I, yep. So I have been involved in audio, uh, the audio community for about 10 years or so, or a little bit more. Um, and in the uh, space of voice acting, which has been amazing and fun <laughs> uh, to producing Lightning Bolt Theater of the Mind with Josh Price, who is also my, my co-producer and best friend. And that's been amazing. We've been doing audio drama, various genres, and many of you have been involved with that. So thank you for that. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Wonderful actress. I can speak to that. She actually won an award with Icebox Radio about two years ago uh, when we did an adaptation of the music of Eric Zahn. Um, oh, that, was- that was great. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Well, as I say, you did a great job. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, As I mentioned, Jack, Jack's called this lines and layers and uh, the public description 
is this. Are there format and script software, the script software I should consider in making audio drama? How many notes should I provide in the script for my director, actor, post-production team? What are Easter eggs, tropes, and meta stories? And how do all these combine to create a professional and coherent story? So it sounds like we're kind of thinking more writerly for this panel. Um, I throw it open, maybe start with that question of, of script software. Anybody have any strong opinions on, uh, on how to write practically? Yeah. Um, I'd be happy to go first just because I, I always work in Word. I used to be a word processor. So I had a mentor at that job who taught me all the ins and outs of like really how to use uh, styles, templates, macros. And if you know how to do that, which not everybody can and not everybody wants to, um, you can make Word a Word template that basically does the same thing as Final Draft to where you hit return after a certain thing and it goes to the next uh, type of format and keeps going down that way. Uh, I like working with Word because I can use it on any platform and I don't have to have special licensed software in, in installed just because Word is pretty ubiquitous. That may change for me now that the whole Office Suite 360 is moving to a subscription model. Once that catches up with all of us, I don't know what I'm gonna use. Jeff or- Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I just, I, when I was doing a lot of work in film, I, I used to use uh, Caltex a lot and found it worked well for film. I don't, I don't find it works as well for audio drama, but so really I, now I just use, uh, I just use Google Docs. Um, mm. I, I do everything in Google Docs because it's just so simple and then you can just share it. It's all there. Um, you know, I have people put lines in, into, you know, Google Drive and all that so it's it's kind of a one place for me and it can be a little cumbersome uh, for doing a script maybe it's not the best just for ease like you know low society all the templates and macros and i don't even know what those are so um you know i just kind of do it by hand but for me it uh, it it works out and we are officially a zoom call ladies and gentlemen we have achieved cat cat has appeared on oh yeah 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 <laughs> Just a couple I, of ears at a table. Hungry. So she's uh, letting me know and it lasts a subtle way. I kind of assume I'm going to see mine before too much longer because she does know. <laughs> oh, you're working? Okay. Uh, Tanya, do you want to chime in on this question? Format. I know it's a little different for you, but uh, sure. be interested to hear your thoughts. Okay. Um, so I'm also in agreement with Lothar in terms of using Word to access the scripts and format them myself to send to voice actors. What's nice about it is it interacts really well with the screen reader. So it reads the font and kind of the positioning and all that, how far things are indented. So that's very useful. And then it's easy to convert it to PDF for those that, that prefer a nice clean PDF file. Otherwise, I when I'm reading lines, I take the whatever script it is and I put it in notepad, uh, which is kind of funny because it I use it as an audio teleprompter almost and put a uh, line by line or half a line on one line. And then on the next, it would be the other half of the line to make it like short bits of audio that I can hear as I'm reading the line and keep up with it without pausing unnaturally or uh, leaving too much of a pause or stumbling. It's, it takes practice, but it's a really cool way to get through your script if you're just primarily using audio as your way to read it um, as you go. But yeah, uh, I love Word. It's, it's so easy. And I love Dropbox. 
to send things. Google Drive works too, though. Uh, that's a great way to store your files and your scripts and kind of access everything all in one place and collaborate with others. So yeah, thanks. Yeah, and I'll I'll chime in that we we uh, we started basically developing our own format. Icebox Radio goes back to 2003. And starting with a, a wonderful book called The Complete Book of Script Writing, J. Michael Straczynski, which uh, sadly, a lot of it's out of date now because it was written in the 90s, I think. Uh, but it was the first book I ever found that had any material at all on a radio drama format. It would have been called radio drama. Um, kind of beginning with that, we made our own format here that's very similar to what he referred to as the old time radio format, large margin on the right. Uh, character's name in block text on the left and then all the dialogue in blocks and uh, uh, I think I will put up a sample script on the uh, the folder that Jack contributed for this this uh, event just additional materials because uh, frankly I'm really rather proud of the format we came up with um, uh -huh. just in terms of figuring out the easiest way for actors to work within the con you work with a script like it was amazing to me when we switched to Arial how much smoother rehearsals went. Tried Times Roman font. We tried uh, Courier and Arial made a huge difference. Uh, also, line numbering makes a gigantic difference in terms of helping people uh, find where we're at. You know, as we as you start and stop through a rehearsal, it never failed. I, I would need to describe in depth where we're going to pick up next until I started using the line numbering feature. And then it was, okay, page 14, line line six. And everyone's there right away. Um, and uh, as far as putting them together, I started using macros in college, which was a really long time ago. WordPerfect 4.2 in those days. And even though a macro is kind of a simplified programming language almost, um, I'm still using them the way I was back then, which is storing keystrokes. And it just saves a lot of time with, uh, with a character name. You know, by if the character name's John, type in capital J-O-H-N, a colon, and then jump one to the right. And that works for all the characters. And uh, uh, currently, I actually use OpenOffice and used to use Word till ours ran out and I had to go buy it again. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll just use OpenOffice and it's fine. And, uh, and I probably would use Google Docs, except no macros that I've been able to find. So that's a problem. Uh, <laughs> thoughts as long as we're on the subject of scripts maybe moving a little more I, to an artistic I actually, had a, I actually had one question for people and this yeah. was based off of one of the things that jack said on the previous panel which is that his uh some of his actors had a problem using the uh screenplay format where everything's sort of like in a center column um and i've heard other people say similar things which to me is a little confusing because the reason that script that screenplays were originally designed that way is so that actors could hold it and not have to scan like this with their eyes. It's more like you can see it without moving and you can just get into doing it. I'm wondering, how does everybody else feel? I find that center column to be really in a screenplay format to be really helpful to me as an actor, but I'm hearing other things. So I'm just curious what everybody else's opinion is and maybe, uh, maybe everybody doesn't find it as easy as I do. Oh, I find it very easy, Lothar. Like you say, it's all just right in your line of vision there's no there's no you know scanning around so i yeah I, i've never heard anyone say you know until today that they had an issue with it so um yeah i, th I think it's a great way to do it yeah. and i'd say our format has basically that's not actually centered 
Uh, but it is, there's a big margin to the left. And then the, the real difference, and this was, I guess, a leftover from radio drama uh, in, the, in the golden age, a big margin on the right, which g creates this very nice block for notes uh, where people can scribble things and, and whatnot. Got so you, you, you basically end up with the same thing, a large block of text. Gotcha. And one of, the, okay. one of the thing I did want to mention, uh, we switched to, to listing all sound effects and music cues. They are flush left and flush right with uh, bold, capitalized, and underlined. And it makes a wonderful breakup of the script. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of sound effects cues that are typed basically in the same font, the same, and, and it just gets blurry. And we do enough live shows that I'm very mindful of the biggest concern we've got is uh, that uh, that people might get slightly lost in front of an audience and then the panic sets in. And having a script that's broken up like that, uh, it can really aid them in finding their place quickly and uh, having the show go on. Cool. I look forward to seeing your uh, template. That sounds really cool, actually. Yeah, okay. me too. <laughs> this is boring. We shouldn't talk about scripts anymore. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the eternal question. The eternal question. How much to put into a script before you're acting from the page? Yeah, that's a good question. Jeff, I'd like to hear your opinion on this being a, a professional educator. Sure. Uh, thank you. But here's my feeling, and I, I mentioned this a little bit early this morning, but um, my sense when I teach acting um, or I'm directing a play or more so than an audio drama, but uh, I want the actors to um, be able to make choices be able to take themselves, take the given circumstances out of the script and then put themselves into it. Um, so that if I'm playing a part, mine's gonna be different than yours, Jeff. It's gonna be different than yours, Lothar, um, because we're putting ourselves into the script. So when I write a script, I have uh, very little stage direction on it. Um, you know, it's just, I, I want the actor to make the choice that's right for the actor in that moment. Because I believe that, you know, acting is behaving truthfully under imaginary circumstances in that moment. And, you know, it's like that. And I, I often think that when we work together, I often said to, to my cast that the collective idea is usually better than the individual idea. So I may have an idea going in, but there's usually a better idea out there in the, in the group. Um, and so I put very little and, and, you know, I think about, I brought up Shakespeare this morning, you know, Shakespeare doesn't have any stage directions and, and it's, it's all in text. So hopefully everything's written in the text that the actor can take it and then, um, you know, make it his or her own, uh, during the show. I'm waiting on you guys now. <laughs> <laughs> Donnie, do you want to go or should I go? Sure. So in terms of that, generally, like when I'm, I know if I'm getting ready for a live show or a collaboration session with others, for, for me, what I do is I'll take other lines out uh, that are between my previous line and my next, and then I'll just have the previous person's cue there. So that way I can quickly run through my script when I'm, when I'm reading it. And that helps a lot. But when I'm working with other others to uh, give them scripts to record, either if they're recording on their own or working with me in a session or something. 
I will definitely put in parenthetical uh, notes like emotions or something pertaining to that, that line in particular, or if I need them to do a reaction sound like a sigh or something. So that, that tends to be pretty clear. And then of course I'll put any additional sound effects notes in the scene as, as it goes. That, that works pretty well for people. And of course, numbering the lines is always helpful for mixing purposes too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, definitely with the, the numbering of lines, I find that very helpful to be able to say, I need a retake of line 192, not please go to page such and such and look for this line and just, it makes it easier. Um, for myself in my, in my scripts and stage direction, I have two sort of thoughts that go on. I do most of my own post-production. So when I'm writing, I'm seeing the finished process, project in my head, visually, auditorially. And if I have a great idea or someplace I don't, something I don't want to forget, I'll put it into the script. And that's more for me than for the actors. Um, I might take it out later or put it into something else, but I usually put it in right then and there so I can sort of still feel my own internal style as I'm writing it as sort of a holistic process. Then the... Um, for the actors, I try and leave it as minimal as possible, but sometimes I found like uh, with a scene in one of my first productions that I did completely on my own, there was people on horseback and Bill Holwig was the only one who did not need to be prompted to go, oh, okay, I'm giving my line. Yeah. Like, oh, Bill. And this was something else that was brought up in yeah, the panel where other people were just sort of delivering it. And that's on me. I didn't put that in the script to say, hey, remember this. So now I do things like not, I want you to deliver the line like that, but remember that you are running. Remember that you that's, are that's something yeah. like this because it's too easy to forget it, especially when you're not on stage with a bunch of other people and immersed in the story. Um, so I try and find that line of being as helpful as possible so that no one has to do retakes and also still leave enough freedom to where they're not constrained by it. Yeah, I think that's good, Lothar. And I'll put that into it. You're running, you're on a horseback, or you're off mic, you know, you're in the background kind of yelling, you know, mm -hmm. from afar, something like that, just so it gives people the idea, oh, okay, just in case they don't pick up on that cue, like, you know, you're running or, or whatever like that. I think, I think that's a good idea. And I agree totally with the numbering of the script. The only thing I don't care for, I've worked for some people who, when you do the lines, you, you say the number first, Oh, you know, when that. you're doing satellite and I just, yeah. it, it kind of messes with my head because I have to go like, you know, 181 and then I have to do my line. And so I prefer not to do that as an actor. And I don't ask people who, you know, we work with to do that, but I, I understand why people do that. But I just, as an actor, I prefer not to do that. Yeah, I think the, that's the off mic thing is interesting. I've had to do in a couple of scripts to where I know a certain actor's setup is such to where if they actually step away from the mic, they're going to get a lot of reverb because they don't have a full studio. They've got a corner that they've got good right. audio sound in. So I would uh, put in a stage request of like, give me three takes close to your mic, but soft volume or mm -hmm. faux vo volume. And I'll play with that and then step away. And then I've got enough to pick what is the best thing during post that I want to use in this particular situation. But that's more of a tailored thing. If I know that Jeff or Tanya is going to be in my production, and I know a little bit of what your setup is because I've post, you know, cleaned up a bunch of your lines and I can tailor it to your needs. Yeah, I think parentheticals, uh, there really are two different categories here. One is very practical. Um, when we're talking about slightly off, coming on, uh, that kind of thing, that's really, uh, you're, you're making shorthand for the recording and, yes. and also placing uh, 
setting up the reality of this scene and what's going on around this microphone. Uh, that's that's important. It's I think where maybe it gets difficult is when you start trying to direct from the from the page. You start trying to tell the actor what to do, and totally uh, I, I throw in a lot of you know size as parentheticals because again, like Lothar, I'm hearing that as I'm writing. I I again do all my own editing and directing as well, so I'm I'm pretty much imagining the show as I'm writing it, and. Uh, that I find I take out about half through script editing before we ever get to rehearsal because, you know, let the, let the actor make a choice. Maybe they wouldn't sigh here. Maybe there isn't right. uh, something that they, they particularly, you know, something else they want to do. It's always interesting uh, to hear a completely different interpretation that you realize is better than what you had. You know, it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a big, as a writer, I'm not a big believer in the whole, uh, uh, the the word is sacrosanct, and you know, okay, when it's Shakespeare, fine, but he's earned that. <laughs> he's still being produced <laughs> 500 years later. Uh, the rest of us, this is a collaborative art form, and uh, we should allow the actors a little bit of freedom. Having said that, if there's a parenthetical in there, and you know, it works to ignore it, ignore it. Um, but again, the ones that are more practically based, like coming on just off. Uh, that, that have some right. relation to the microphone. That makes sense because you know th th there's obviously some piece of direction here. I guess our version of blocking, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, when you say that, and I totally agree with everything you just said, Jeff, and, and um, I enjoy it. Like when we do a satellite recording, which is what I do mostly, um, you know, and I'll ask for three different takes, just like I know Lofar, you do the same thing, and Tanya. But I always I like it when the when the the um, actor does the three takes three different ways, but then gives me a couple more that are more like wild takes. And yeah. sitting on this panel right now is the best ever at doing that, Tanya, um, <laughs> because I, I you know a lot of times Tanya's been in a lot of shows that we've done, and I, I look for those and it, I love those you know those just those kind of like added in and. and pieces of that and I really appreciate and I also really appreciate it um because I find that that a lot of, and I'm guilty of this myself a lot of people will forget to do like crowd scene stuff do you know what I mean like okay you're in a bar I do we just need some wall or we just need some sure. some chat or we need some like oh no it's you know things like that and, and I'll find a lot of times I'll have to go back and send an email back out to people. Hey, can you record this for me? Cause you know, we need to get a bunch of, and I've done it myself. I know I did it to the whole way once and I, I thought he was never going to talk to me again. So, um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was, um, so I, I like that too. It's just an, an aside. Yeah. I mean, I think just to add to that, I think that um, Foley is very important because you never know what you might need later. And um, obviously if, if you're recording fully, you, you're going to want to sound slightly different than your character if you can. Um, so that mm -hmm. when people are listening to it, they're not like, wait a second, isn't that person playing so-and-so? I think I recognize that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, but it's just a way to have fun with it and be yourself and pretend like you're in that crowd and um, yeah. play a slightly different character than you're normally playing or even giving the director more more than they need to work with is good because they might think that one take works and then try it out in the scene and it may not mesh with the other actors in, uh, quite as organically as it can. So then having options is great. 
if we do a, a live show, I've, I've recently just started letting the actors, if they're supposed to be drinking something, please bring something to drink. Cause there's nothing quite like that. You, you can foley it. Sure. But it just sounds better to have the actor, especially if they're supposed to be communicating something, something verbally in somewhere in the process of drinking. I'm not saying alcohol. It could be coffee or tea or whatever, but just uh, that, that's that's doubling up Foley and uh, and acting. We're probably going to have union problems at some point. Um, <laughs> no, that's a great idea. And it just made me think, Jeff, that uh, even on stage, when I was directing a stage play, if you're drinking something, I said, have something in the cup and be drinking it because it's, I hate, you know, people <laughs> drink and they, they go like this. Nobody drinks like that because you're fake drinking, you know, and uh, it just doesn't look right on stage. So, um, so yeah, but I think I've never done that. I've, I've only done a few live shows and it's so much fun um, mm -hmm. to do, but uh, that's a great idea though. Well, we were doing Nero Wolf recently because we just happened to have an oh, actor that does Nero. a... Yeah. Oh, we, we got a, We just got a kid who just, for whatever reason, does a killer uh, Sydney Green Street. Um, yeah. But he's always drinking beer, right? At 11 in the morning, he's <laughs> near a wolf. So not the kid. The kid's, he's very responsible. Right. But yeah. <laughs> um, but I realized, you know, if he's supposed to be drinking beer here, probably going to be a lot easier to just have you drink beer uh, as opposed to me trying to match, you know, because then I, I've, I've been on the Foley stage thinking, okay, this in this scene a woman is drinking how do i drink like a woman do i just record myself <laughs> taking a sip and maybe pitch it up a little bit what a lot easier just to have the actress do it yeah uh, da, 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 there's, no, there's nobody who had yeah. more people drinking an audio drama than bill holway oh yeah <laughs> right and drinking always drinking always slurping coffee right and, and, and uh he holds the record for most cups of coffee consumed in an AD. That's fun. Something I'll do as an actor to uh, address that, Jeff, uh, is I don't know how they want to mix it. So if let's say I'm drinking, you know, in this line, I'll do three takes, three to five takes while I'm drinking and then without the drinking in case they prefer to mix it in. But that's just because that's what I do. And I feel like I can do that. But, you know. Yeah, and, and it's important that, you know, if you back to writing briefly, is there a reason for this guy to be slurping? Right. Um, that doesn't yeah. mean he can't slurp. It might sound really realistic and really cool if he does slurp. But if there's a re if there isn't a reason for him to be slurping, don't don't put it in the script. And uh, that's probably back to our discussion. Yep. I'm just looking at actors, actors. It is. Well, just one more thing to go with what Lothar just said with with the takes. You know, when when you're doing or when I'll speak for myself, when I'm doing satellite. Um, recording and I'm, I'm mixing and I, I'm an intense mixer like Lothar is just, you know, really long getting into it. And all of a sudden I get a take that I just can't use because the person's only giving me one or, it, you know, or whatever has happened. I, and it just, it just <laughs> takes me right to a halt. And so I, and I just go, Oh, oh. you know, and then you got to get on the thing and say, Hey, can you do this again? Um, but um, so so I really appreciate it. And most of actors are great about this, giving me at least those three takes, you know, and I think probably sometimes in some people who I've worked with, you might see some of my lines, you might get seven or eight from me. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and that you're probably going, oh, geez, when's he going to stop? But, but um, I just want you, I just want people to have enough choice so that they can, have something to use so they don't everything doesn't just grind i mean i know you can 
skip it and go ahead. But everything in that moment doesn't grind to a halt. It's one moment which really cool being the writer as well, because more than once I've gotten a line, oh God, what can I do with this? And then I start looking at the line in context mm-hmm. to the script. Do I yeah. really need this? <laughs> <laughs> Beats trying to put together uh, different words from other lines. And it even does, sometimes, yeah. oh God, that no, no, we're not even going to go there. Um, so uh, interesting, the topic keeps coming up, satellite uh, recording. Is everyone doing this now? Because we've just remote, we just started relatively recently. And does anyone do attempt to do this? It wouldn't be live, of course, but everyone in the same place. And what you're what what you're getting from actors in remote locations is actually going into your recording. Because I, I think most of us um, started out having the file sent. You know, you finish the recording, and then the actor bundles up and sends you the wave file is that the way everyone's still doing it or do we have any advancement in that area for me that's pretty much what i I still prefer i prefer to get all the lines do the take selection work it that way but that's kind of just the uh, the world i lived in because i was kind of isolated and so i joined the satellite world of Mm -hmm. ed as opposed to the studio or stage version of it i still do satellite most of the time um I like to, I, I actually like to get together on Zoom or something else. And, mm-hmm. and that's how we do Sonic Echo, right? We, mm-hmm. we get to, we all get together on Skype, Jack Lothar and I, we get together on Skype. And so we're talking on Skype and we're actually doing it on Skype, but we're recording it in our own, in our own, our own equipment. Mm-hmm. And then we send it to whoever is, is editing it and they put it together. Um, I do like, I do like the, um, you know, getting everybody together on Zoom and doing that. I love what uh, Larry Groby does with Project Audion. Mm-hmm. If you've seen those, uh, I think I think that's brilliant. And I, I would like to get into that more because I think it, it's it's wonderful. And I, I like having everyone together. I know Jack likes having everyone together. I find one of the problems is getting people to be able to get together on such and such a night and such and such a day um, in different time zones and things like that can be problematic, but it can be done. I, so, uh, so I like a lot of difference, but I actually, I'm so used to doing satellite. I've been doing it that way for so long and I enjoy it. Um, I keep doing it, but I'm open to do it anyway. Yeah, we've, we've been doing it more and more. I'm always very mindful because we're a, we're a nonprofit and we do get some of our funding from the state. And part of the deal is we're in this small town up on the Canadian border far away from everything and we were well we are again the only theater group within miles so i i feel like to honor you know the the fact that we're a nonprofit, we should be using local talent as much as possible but mm-hmm. no one at the state really cares they don't have the budget to check things like that uh so we, we we have started using more and more remote actors um and i i find a couple of tricks that have come in handy uh absolutely love to get together if we can but hired an actor last year from Australia and that that wasn't going to happen because he was exactly 12 hours ahead or behind. Is it ahead or behind 12 hours different? You know, he, he could work. Luckily he was professional voice voice actor. So we could get together at eight in the morning, his time, which would be eight in the evening, our time, and at least record some. Um, And then another trick that I found was, was often, 
when working with the regular actors, taking the recordings that we already had and uh, chopping each individual lineup into an individual sound file, then loading it in the live sound effects program that I use, which used to be Max-Q when I had a Mac and now it's just called Audio-Q on, uh, uh, on the, uh, what do you call it? The phones, Android. And I would be, and be sitting there queuing each of these lines as they went by. And because everybody is on headphones anyway, and you're not really, even though they might be in the same room, they don't, you don't really make that much eye contact with the actor across from you because they're very intimately in your ears. It can work amazingly well. You know, yes, you only have one take on that line, uh, but it does give you this very nice, um, very nice set of reactions from the actor. And of course, you, you know, something doesn't go right. You can very easily just back up a little bit more work, of course. I was going to, Larry, uh, Jeff, real quick, what was the, the show you just mentioned? Oh, it wasn't... Project Audion. It's uh, Larry Groby, who's going to, I think uh, he's going to be on a panelist tomorrow, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, he's doing great things with, he, um, I think it was when the pandemic hit, he wanted a way to do it. And so they do it. And it's wonderful because they're, they're a screen like this, like people are looking at right now. And when you're talking, you light up. And I mean, no, Lothar's been in some, right? Yep. It light up and then it jumps. And then so it's it's doing that. So you're actually seeing it. Sometimes people are wearing hats and things like that. And um, cool. uh, he's, doing, he's doing a fantastic job. Okay. Fantastic job. I, I love his shows. And Jack just uh, put up the uh, link to the um, Project Audience stuff in the... Um, chat yeah Wait, no, no, that's, that was that was me that was me how dare jack try and steal my thunder no it just I, I knew there's a group good. in minneapolis there's a group in minneapolis doing something similar where uh they had been doing live shows it's mysterious old radio listening society who uh if you like okay. the otr as well this yeah. is a really fun show because they they three guys well it's basis of all great podcasts, three people that have shared interests that are really have good chemistry together. And they'll just play a, uh, a show, old time radio program, usually something in the mystery and horror genre, and then discuss it afterwards. Uh, <laughs> but they also do, they also do a uh, live shows around twin cities and during COVID tried their hand at zoom. Um, it's okay. Not my favorite thing in the world. In fact, when we go live online, um, I, I try and do Facebook because you just get more listeners that way, but I've taken to just putting up slideshows, even though some people have oh, set up cameras, but, uh, this is Northern Minnesota. Shyness is an actual issue. And <laughs> when I suggest cameras, I don't always get <laughs> positive responses. Okay. Let's see. Da, 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 da. So Jack in his description of this panel. Um, mentions what are Easter eggs, tropes, and meta stories? Any idea what those are exactly? Lothar will know. Okay, Lothar, what are Easter <laughs> eggs, tropes, and meta stories? I, I, I'm not sure exactly how we should define Easter eggs. I think there's a lot of different ways. A lot of them are self referential or within a larger universe. Um, like, you know, I mean, the Marvel movies that everybody watches, if there's some obscure character that shows up in a cameo in the back of a thing that people really love. Um, I guess it's hard when we're working with our own stuff, unless we've built up a huge mythology of our own work. How do we do that? Jeffrey, you might be able to talk about that because you, all of your stuff kind of lives within the icebox world in a way, or at least there's a lot of crossover from the stuff that I've heard. So you might speak to that more for me. It's like, okay, I'm doing a 
one feature length thing broken up into five 30 minute episodes and then it's kind of over. I'm not sure how many Easter eggs I can throw in unless I want to get real Gen X postmodern and throw in other <laughs> things that are self-referential to other stuff. But unless I'm playing in a pop culture world, that's just kind of self-indulgent and distracts from the story and a little too cutesy. So I don't use them a lot um, and it doesn't come up for me too much. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, but I, I, I seem to me I can remember doing something like that. Um, some kind of reference to something we'd done about the closest thing is uh, we, we did do three seasons of a uh, series called Radio Icebox, which was about a fictitious town that had a community radio station. And um, that actually started as, as a totally different series that was just a comedy about a community radio station in a fictitious town. But there was there was other elements in Radio Icebox like uh, 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 science fiction elements and fantasy elements and whatnot. And I actually decided at one point to end the initial series with the suggestion that it was actually all just a dream in the next series. And it's one of those things you do sometimes and you think, ooh, this is gonna be cool. Nobody <laughs> said anything. <laughs> Nobody noticed. <laughs> it, it's podcasting it's the internet i mean who has time to listen <laughs> tanya any thoughts on on meta story and easter egg oops she went away she's at work we should be we should be generous <laughs> something about sorry i was oh, trying to unmute <laughs> right on yeah, sorry about that. My phone was being uh, difficult for a second. But um, in any case, yeah, in terms of meta stories, I would, the best example I can come up with is pretty much um, in one of the stories that, that I've participated in, Edict Zero, there are so many subplots and characters that pop up. I don't know if any of you have listened to them or heard of them, but they're an anthology science fiction show that's been running for, believe it or not, eight years now. And they have several seasons out. They're really cool in the sense uh, that it reminds me of Frasier or X-Files or something of that nature where you really have to pay attention to the subplots. And every time you listen to the show again, there are things hidden in the plot that you may not have picked up on the first go around that you've heard, especially with characters and the little hints and patterns that come up as time goes, as time goes on and plots that build on each other. So for example, there's this uh, admin computer system or there are these ambassadors who are meant to take care of the code. And if something happens to the master code that holds this simulation um, alive with this world that's kind of futuristic, almost like the matrix, then their job is to go and eliminate any errors to the code that are terrorizing um, folks or appearing as ghosts or unresolved spirits entities things like that like that but as you go on you pick up little little things on these ambassadors where they slowly or one of them slowly develops a personality of their own but you wouldn't have picked up on this unless you're carefully paying attention from the beginning you you can pick up little hints so the re-listenability of this show is incredible to me um the, the level of detail and subplots uh, that's what i could think of in terms of both meta meta um plots or micro plots macro yeah micro plots compared to easter eggs in a show that you might listen to 
lot of references too. And one more show I can think of is You Are Here, which is a choose your own adventure audio drama experience where the audience gets to pick at the end of an episode or a series of episodes what happens next. So mm. they have a lot of references to pop culture in their general plot line that the robot or the AI that's kind of one of the main AIs that, you, that you're following in the show will reference and play for you. So you'll hear a little clips and a lot of it is you have to get the reference to, to understand how this applies to the situation. If you don't get the reference, it's still funny and it's perfectly, it doesn't ruin your experience. But if you do, it's like, woohoo, I picked up on this. <laughs> one of the, that's great. That's great, Tanya. One of the great little Easter egg I remember is, um, I didn't do it. Bill Holweg did it. Um, <laughs> we were, of course, if you know, if you knew Bill, you knew that he was uh, enamored with the film Jaws. And uh, so when he did a, a, a show that I was in with Joe Stofko and, and a number of people a number of years ago, um, it was this, the strange fate of Matt Hornblow or something like that. And I'm gonna step away. Keep going, Jeff. OK. And he was uh, we were in a bar and my character was was going over to wait on this woman and, and uh, in the background, you hear Bill with his gravely voice, you know, doing the Jaws theme, you know, <laughs> so he's going dur, 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 like that as a character. And so, you know, a little Easter egg there for those who, uh, who know and love the movie Jaws, but, um, but I don't do a lot with that, with that kind of stuff myself. Um, you had a story, something I was thinking of, which I haven't done an audio drama, but I've done in prose with, uh, a series of stories that I'm trying to sort of tell from California in prose. And so I'm, it, it's like the city itself is a character. So all of the different stories that are in there with different individual human characters are really telling a larger story of this fictional city in California that is telling sort of a fictionalized my approach to my state from the 1700s up to today in different ways. And so people can do that if they think of like a, a city or a region or a world even as like a character and how do you bring up different plot elements that flesh out that character. That's a way to approach meta story that um, might be a way for people to approach it. Cause I think it's also very daunting to think of how do I build a world? How do I build some huge universe that yeah. uh, can be played with? So taking you know a tales from the city sort of approach to where the city itself as a character can be a good way of building meta story. Hey, Tanya, I have a question for you. If you're, if you're there, I, you brought up the yep. term microplot. Yep, you brought up the term microplot, and I think I might know what that means, but I'm, I'm just curious what your definition is of microplot. Yeah, I would say that uh, microplot is more like a story within a story that it's, it's a subplot that um, isn't necessarily hugely important to the main plot but might be important uh -huh. to that particular episode um so okay. for example in in like edict zero they have like almost almost like like shows that you might see on tv where it's monster of the week or whatever plot that okay. has its own conflict in that episode and it has some connection to the bigger plot but if you didn't necessarily um, pay as much attention to that specific episode, you would still get the bigger picture in the other episodes. Um, yeah, does that does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense, and, and I kind of thought that's what it was. But 
it was a new term for me. Um, so I, I, oh, I just created for, it. It's, it's thank not you for necessarily a... that. No, I, no I like problem. It. I like it. Thank you. Yeah. It is, it is an interesting question. Thank you. Excuse uh, the interruption, but we're in a heat wave here and I'm drinking lots of water and there are consequences. Um, <laughs> but I, th this question of uh, writing for your loyal fans and then also writing to be accessible to, uh, to people that maybe never heard your show before. Um, not mm. quite the same. I, I, I think it's, very, it's a very cool thing when you're like in the know. And you know that you're in the know. I mean, it's uh, in college. Uh, I was part of a little group of us that we just never missed Letterman. And this was the NBC weird twelve thirty at night, uh, Monday through Thursday at Letterman. And he was still pretty much uh, on his own in those days. It wasn't he wasn't quite the pop culture phenomenon he eventually became. And so, if you watch that night after night, as we did, you picked up on a lot of in jokes. Um, stuff okay. that he would carry over from episode to episode, but there was no way. I mean, they, they were so free in that time slot to do whatever they felt like doing. There was no way someone who maybe only caught an episode every couple of weeks would have any idea why the audience was laughing. Uh, any thoughts on, especially as you create shows and write, you know, we, we have a very small, but very loyal following. And I kind of want to reward those, but there's also this question of, Gee, it'd be nice if more people were listening. Yeah. So does anyone does anyone write to the to just to the fans in jokes? I don't mostly because I don't have any fans, but <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> um, no, I I really don't. I I write my my feeling on writing is I I can I write what's there for me to write. And I just, I just write it and I put it out there. And if people listen to it, that's good. And if they don't, that's fine. Um, so I really don't, I don't write for any particular audience. I, I really write for myself if that sounds selfish, but, but that's, that's kind of what's there for, I, cause I always tell students, I said, you need to make the art that's there for you to make. Um, and you know, not to pander to an audience. And I'm not saying that's pandering to an audience cause it's not, but, but, you know, I'd, ha I'd have a lot of students say, well, I want to do what the audience wants from me. And I said, that's the number one way to, to uh, not having a good performance. You know, if you're pandering to an audience, just make the art that's there for you to make. But I think it's great. And, and I, I understand what you're saying about that Letterman thing and the in-jokes. And, you know, it's like I always appreciate it good, especially good. Uh, I'm a big fan of stand-up comedy. And I, I really appreciate it when a stand-up comic can do a really well-placed callback, you know, from the, from some previous material that he or she has done. And I, I just find that incredibly, uh, incredibly funny. So, um, so that's, so yeah, that's, that's what I think about that. I've avoided that question by working on pretty much self-contained stories that don't go on for too long. Um, <laughs> if I was going to do an ongoing series, I would probably try and find a happy balance between the old maxim, you know, from comic books and TV and radio even of like some episode is somebody's first, you know, it's always going to, there's always the possibility that it's the first time they've come in. So they need to have some way of being oriented to the world, to the, to the story. Um, 
but at the same time, we live in a world now to where we don't have broadcast without reruns. And if you miss an episode, you may never get it again. We can actually binge. We can go, oh, this is part five of 10. I can just go back and listen to, I can download episodes one through four and no harm, no foul. Um, so I'm not sure where I would go on that, but I'd probably try and find a balance between be, not being so in depth of here's chapter 32 of a thousand page novel with 30 characters that's really depth. I don't want to do the audio version of that. Um, so I'm not really sure, but I, I think I'd try and find a happy balance between the two. Uh, let's see. I, I, th yeah. well, I, I think I can add one more thing about before Tanya wants to answer, but I think after thinking about, I'm a little slow, so I have to process things. And um, like, if people listen to Sonic Echo, which is the show, very similar to the one you, you talked about, Jeff, Jack and Lothar and I, and we pick a uh, old time radio show. This year we're doing noir, last year we did Westerns. And then we introduce it, we play the show, and then we, we talk about the, the show. Um, and if, if anybody listens to a lot of them, they may be waiting for the, um, the Shakespeare reference that always comes up. You know, because there's, there's always a Shakespeare reference in every single show, and it's usually by me. And sometimes Jack will jump in if I haven't done it yet. Um, and it was not intentional; it's just something that comes up. So, like, so if if you're somebody who listens to Sonic Echo for it's been, I think this is the fifth season, Lothar. Yeah. Of, of Sonic Echo, yeah. and the fourth that Lothar and I've been on it. Um, you know that that'll come up. So that you know, I guess in some ways it's kind of an Easter egg or kind of an in joke. Uh, type of a thing that might come up um and i know like i said bill did a lot of that kind of stuff in his in his shows because he was always doing planet of the apes or, or you know his take on jaws or his take you know like that and and um so fun so i've talked enough so tiny can jump in <laughs> um so for lightning bolt when when we started out and we still encourage people who like the show, who want to get involved in voice acting, maybe aren't, uh, you know, don't know where to start with voiceover, voice acting, and are curious to get started. We always welcome people to jump in and um, help us out by joining that voiceover train because you can never have enough awesome voices in your shows. And That's it's a, a non-intimidating way, I think, to reach out to people that might have thought about it, but just don't know where to go and what to do. So for anyone that listens, my, my encouragement always is thank you for listening. If you like the show, reach out. If you want to get started in voice acting and you, you know, you want somewhere fun to start, this is a great place and uh, we'd love to have you. So that's kind of how I encourage people to reach out. I've gotten a couple people really, it, it, I don't get much feedback. And that's, I think the nature of podcasting sometimes is you'll get feedback if it's bad, if someone doesn't like it, if someone's <laughs> offended, if x y and z but people have to take more effort and, and forethought to sit down and maybe they mean to but they just get busy we're in crazy times and you know it's it's a combination of different things but i think uh some some folks have had a lot of success with posting to social media maybe taking a character's personality and also creating a social media account around that to get participant uh, participation oh. But that said, um, for Lightning Bolt, we've also created a, a couple of shows like Altered Avalon and Bleeding of the Hedges and all of this, uh, these fantasy shows that 
I guess for lack of a better word, bleed into each other because mm -hmm. um, the fantasy elements oh, of the characters, true. yeah, the characters appear in all of these different universes and um, they, they interact in various capacities and their personalities change from universe to universe, but they're still the same characters ultimately. It's just that their stories are different. So the Easter, Easter eggs are references to certain things that have happened in other universes that we kind of throw in there and little flashbacks, flashback sequences and things. And Lothar and Jeff, you guys have been super amazing in your roles. So we wanted to <laughs> thank say you. thank you for that. <laughs> Couldn't do it without you guys. That's always a lot of fun. And I would, I would encourage Jack, anyone too. who wants to get into voice acting, you, you can't start in a better place than Lightning Bolt with Tanya and Josh Price. And I hope Josh is listening. Thank I you. talked to him the other day, and if you don't know Josh Price, he's one of the most amazing people in all of uh, audio drama, along with Tanya. And oh, yeah. uh, boy, that's the place to go. I'll tell Aww. you. No, I mean that. <laughs> I mean too. that. I, I'm so honored to be in to be in your shows. You know, whenever you ask or Josh asks, I don't even care what the. I just say yes. You know, Josh <laughs> is like, "Don't you even want to know what it is?" I go, "No, just send it to me, and I'll do it." And and uh, especially when you guys did Dark Shadows, when Bill was in it, that was. Oh, yeah. That's still like, you know, so close to my heart. You know, we love Dark Shadows. Oh, it, it's one of our right. favorite shows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so having you guys involved, and and um, it's it's something I look forward to. And same with your shows. It's I guess I'll say the audio drama community. Once you're in it, you're in it, and it feels like family. And uh, mm -hmm. if you haven't gotten to know some of us, you know, when you do you'll find that all of us are very welcoming. We're not super, super formal. And, um, you know, we have our processes <laughs> that we follow various processes, but it's, it's all with like the, the notion of having a good time in mind. We all, we all want to have a relaxing, fun time with friends. And because obviously with so many of us being in different time zones and so far away, the best way to to keep in touch is to be in these shows and hear each other's performances and, and be supportive. It, it's a, such a nice industry, I guess, a segment of the industry. I love it. I, I do too. And, and I'm glad you said that because you just reminded me that both our myself and Tanya, along with Jack, um, are recording a 20 part show right now. Right. And um, we'll get together on, on a Sunday afternoon for a few hours and record a couple of scripts together. And it's just, nice. it's so nice because we get to, you know, spend the time together and talk and do the show and laugh and, and, um, you know, so it's, it's, when you say it's community, it's, it's really is community. And so I hope that anybody who's out there listening or watches this when, you know, after it's recorded, you know, if you want to become a VA, just become a VA. You don't need any kind, just jump in and everybody was so nice. Yeah. You know, when I got back into it oh. in the 2000s, I was getting another degree. And so I wasn't able to do a lot of theater. And so that's when I met Bill Holweg in the early 2000s. And he said, you know, come on and be in a show, you know. And I said, okay. You know, and then from there, it was just after that. So it's just a great community. It's just jump in and do it, you know. Exactly. If you're nervous, have a glass of wine and enjoy just uh <laughs> When you're auditioning, pretend you're not going to send it. <laughs> Record it and send go. it anyway. And, and don't worry about it because you're going to be great. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, we should continue with, with the conversation. But I uh, want to remind everybody listening and watching 
uh, that we're coming up on the time when we'll be, uh, we'll be taking questions. So if you have a question for the panel, go ahead and use the, uh, looks like the chat feature in, um, in Zoom. And as uh, the questions pop up, I will read them in order and we'll get to as many as we can. I think we're on, we have plenty of time. We're on for another over a half hour. It's supposed to be uh, done 4.15 Eastern time. Um, but yeah, I was, I was going to just start the conversation on tropes. Mm. If anyone, tropes have I loved. Let's just preface it with that. <laughs> anyone have any strong opinions? Either I have way, very strong on... opinions about tropes that I just don't even like the term. I don't like putting things into boxes like that. It's like taking a butterfly and pinning it to a board and it's like, now I can't use it. It's just opened up. I just want the thing flying around and calling it by anything under a trope I find lazy and taxonomical. So what do Actually, you do just... instead? Um, like, like I, I get what you're saying. I get, you, I get your point. I do. I totally understand your point. But um, I... But you can you can disregard that question. I, I no, just... no, I, no it, it's, it's a completely valid question because people will go, well, then what do you do? And it's not that I don't recognize the things within the tropes. I yeah. like to let them flow. I like to recognize that they are liquid, not solid, um, yeah. that they can bleed into each other. And I'm not seeing part A and part B and part C or this type of character, this type of plot or this sort of thing, but just letting it flow. And that for me, uh, makes it feel more like it's a living piece of art as opposed to something I have constructed in, you know, like a little erector set or something. Yeah, I think I knew the I, the answer to that question because we talked about it. That's why I asked that because yeah. it was like, you know, make it to locking things down. I mean, it, it's in certain, certain, um, I think certain scripts and certain shows, they, they work well and, and people enjoy them and, and like that. And I don't usually use them either, but um, I can, you know, I've certainly gotten a, a laugh or, you know, out of seeing them in other shows, for sure. I just decided to go look it up because it was one of those words we use all the time and I wasn't yeah, sure exactly yes. what the definition was. Yep. Um, and now they hit me with an IBM ad. And you got to go down a couple <laughs> ways. You got to go down a couple definitions, but I like this one, a convention or device that establishes a predictable or stereotypical representation of a character setting or scenario in a creative work. For example, the trope of having cats on Zoom calls. This is very tired. <laughs> We're all sick of it. Yeah, I know. It, I know. So I, I guess I've always say, wondered what is what is the difference? Look at you all and say hi. Oh. oh. <laughs> I've always wondered exactly what is the difference in people's minds, because I like that definition too, but what is the difference between that definition of a trope and a cliche? Cliche is very definitely negative, I would think. That there's an, it can definite... be, but, it, but technically it's not. It's used pejoratively, absolutely. Okay. But it really just meant that something is already, you already know what it is. It's already kind of, you know, canned. It's, it, it fulfills those expectations up front. Same thing with stereotype. Stereotype is used pejoratively, but originally it was just like, no, that is the stereotype that we have to work from. It's, it's the cowboy, uh, you know, yeah. similar in a way to, to Jungian archetypes, but not quite. Um, so I'm just sort of uh, wondering why we had to go with trope to begin with. And what is the, what is the benefit of that? Of using tropes versus not using tropes or being really aware of them, I guess. Outside of fan talk. It is, it is a kind of shorthand in storytelling. You know, when, if, if there's a trope and your audience is going to recognize it as such, they instantly know a lot about what's going on. Um, 
can't come up with an example right now, but you're nodding. So I'm going to go, the cat's nodding even. So obviously this yeah. is. Well, this Jack, is, just, Jack just posted it. Oh, it said, I use yeah. the word conventions. So I throw that yeah. in so that, you know, it's, it's. Conventions. Yeah, I kind of like that's that. That's what, that's what I think. I didn't see the whole thing. I just saw it flash on my screen. Uh, so maybe there's more to that message, but. Um, and said, um, like hello. These. Speaking of chats, hello today from Alberta. Uh, we did meet at Convergence. Good Lord, 2008. Ah, <laughs> 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 a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, well, it's the the question of conventions or tropes or anything else. It's 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 uh, that way of not having a, a completely blank page that you sure. start with, if that's the story you're telling. Um, mm -hmm. If the story you're telling fits within, sorry, monitor trouble. There we go. The story you're telling fits within a particular set of archetype. Well, you know, you don't necessarily have uh, a blank page. Then you can move forward with a certain set of expectations, which can be met or, you know, uh, subverted. It's up yeah. to you at that point. And certainly in all of fiction, both written and media, genre is you know, just outstripped everything else in the last 50 years as term in terms of the, the, the amount of stuff being produced and us in audio, you know, we all kind of discovered audio in the last couple of decades and uh, began moving into it. And you, you learn, uh, well, you just look at the amount of stuff that's out there. Most of it, I would say is I would describe as genre pieces, really thoughts on that. I would agree in the sense that, the, especially in media, um, I'm, since the pandemic hit, I've been revisiting a lot of literary fiction, um, the, the sort of what they call non-genre stuff, even though I think there's a, a lot of bleed over there. There's a lot of literary fiction that wouldn't be considered genre that you can still go, even though you're focusing on the characterization and the emotions and stuff, I mean, it's kind of a mystery. It's not labeled as a mystery, but it is kind of, or it's mm -hmm. a thriller, but it's not, or it's almost parody, satire, comedic, there, there is always a genre, even if people don't recognize it too strongly as a genre, this is definitely sci-fi or this is definitely this other thing. Some of William Gibson's more later novels, you know, uh, where his first sprawl trilogy was very clearly science fiction, cyberpunk. Then he had yeah. other ones that are still labeled that, but you can read it and go, this is just a modern day kind of thriller that maybe is really more of a character exploration. At some point, um, I agree with you about like genre, <clears throat> stereotype, trope, and all that. I guess my problem is when people only think in that mode, it's too easy to get locked in. <clears throat> How do we transcend it to make it seem like something new? Not even just consciously subverting expectations, but just none of us are one thing. You know, we have many mm -hmm. archetypes inside of our own heads. So every character should too. Even if that person's a warrior, doesn't mean they have to be like every other cookie cut warrior out there. And for me, I guess, is that if I start thinking in tropes, I'm going to make a mistake. So maybe my cautions are more against for myself to always not fall into laziness, but not to be prescriptive to other people if they find it useful. So let me ask this question because you bring up some good points. So maybe I'm confused on the whole trope thing. And I, like, I do like that definition. But if I'm writing a Western, let's say, you know, and I do the whole saloon and I, I put in all, are, are those considered tropes or are those considered just trappings of our, or are they the same thing? Am I just talking about the same thing? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm seriously asking. That's a type that of trope. If, if you go to, what, isn't there TV tropes? Is that the website? 
you can there's like literally thousands of tropes that they have defined and given places that they show up in and it's everything from character types to um you know the pratfall or you know various other things oh, so yeah, it can okay. be everything from the saloon to everything else okay which again starts to i think if everything's a trope then what is a trope you know if everybody yeah that's i guess that's what it might yeah, be yeah. Again, on, the, on the term you know and is is well what is and what isn't you know because um yeah jack said tv tropes is, is the thing what it's uh, overused it's what yeah. made the trope used trope overused <laughs> yeah right yeah for exactly, so tropey exactly. use trope yeah. so i i think there's there's you know when when the the western that i just wrote not too long ago it was more of kind of uh, well i guess it's not an anti it's a western but and it has some of those tropes in it like the saloon and the sheriff whatever those you know things mm -hmm. are but but um i tried to move beyond that because it's kind of a it's a weird western kind of a paranormal western um you know so trying to move out of it and maybe that's a trope too you know, <laughs> you know it's a subgenre it is a subgenre yeah. with its own tropes yes yeah yeah so but it's important. It? <laughs> yeah well i i think what you're describing with the western that's that's yeah maybe tropey but then there's also conventions of the genre which again you're getting back to the whole thing of the kind of grounding the audience uh right, you got true. a scene in the saloon well, what's going to happen? What every time happens in a saloon, there's going to be some kind of conflict. Someone's right. there's going to be a gunfight or an almost gunfight. Um, and, and that's just every time you see that and you can embrace that. I was thinking about the one chance I got to build uh, to work with Bill Holwig is I got yeah. to be his coal shack uh, when he did a Night Stalker show. Oh, yep. Those were great shows. You were Thank great. you. Uh, we only did. Well, I I only did one with him and, and sadly we didn't do another because um, he sent me a script and I, what I, what I responded was, look, I'll do this because I really, really want to do the character again. I was basically, I'm a writer because I watched that show when I was a kid. And right. um, I said, look, I'll do this, but in, under protest is a little too strong, but I don't think you have Carl Wright for, because of this and this and this and this. And, and he pulled the plug immediately. Cause you know, Bill, he had 18 projects going at all times. So it, it's, um, I think he, he figured sadly that he would get back to it at some point or we would write something. Um, he, uh, but he shared you know, that but, story with me once. Um, it, oh, he was not the writer of the script and he was, oh. um, he was helping somebody else out. Ah, and he kind of took the bullet on that. That was not his script. That was someone this else. This is the first was, I'm hearing of it. Yeah. No, he, yeah, he very much shared that story with me. And, um, uh, yeah, he was just like trying to help somebody out and he just, you know, took the bullet cause he wasn't going to throw that person under the bus, but it was not his script and he didn't like it either. He was just trying to maybe Jeff, uh, if Jeff gives me the, okay, all right. Well, I feel really? better about I that. Never knew that. Yeah. I never knew any of that. Yeah. No, I never, I mean, I, I really, I go back and those, it was, it was a wonderful story that we did do. That was yep. the one where there was vampires and Wrigley Field came into it and and all this. Ethel Merman singing. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Ethel Merman was singing. Oh, boy. Uh, now I'm totally like, oh, yeah. Uh, Carl Kolschak, television of that era um, that was very tropey. But I think a lot of that was practical in nature because, you know, you, you knew what scenes could be shot cheaply and easily and what scenes couldn't 
And I'm sure that that read into uh, how it, how that television show and a lot of television shows were put together. We're lucky we're audio. We really don't have those issues. I mean, if we want the, the show to take place in outer space, no problem. If we want the show to take place inside the cell of an atom, no problem. Uh, my actors don't need to get up off the school the stool to do either one of those things. And, and that's a real benefit. Um, but do, do you ever find, as long as we're talking about this, do you ever find uh, the kind of open-ended nature of audio is, is too freeing? That, man, it'd be nice to have some, be nice to have a canvas here with edges. And, and mm. I don't mind it being blank, but it'd be nice if there was some you know, limitation. And of course, it's very easy just to write within a genre and you know, tell a vampire story that starts with a carriage arriving at a castle. But anyone else have thoughts on that? I love constraints. Um, I'm one of those people that thinks that, you know, without the glass, you got nothing to hold the wine that you're pouring into it. So um, with poetry, I like actual form uh, to do. I like to work within a time frame of having, I know how long roughly my work's going to be. So mm -hmm. I like those constraints. And I guess the other things I, I don't, I love the open-endedness of audio where I find a constraint that's uh, applied to me, which forces me to have a little bit more of that internal constraint is the first time I tried to do something with way too many actors mm, and yeah. wrangling the actors, getting it all in and going, this is making this no longer fun. I now have an internal constraint of, I want to have maybe five to 10 actors at the most. <laughs> and that's still a lot. <laughs> that's, that's still a lot, but let's say, let's say five characters that suddenly constrains the way I can tell the story. So um, those little things then provide the structure that I need to not be lost. And so that's kind of the way that I find that, that edge, which I completely agree with you. There needs to be some boundary or else I'm not going to know how I'm doing it or what I'm doing. I, I found that my experience, I agree with Lothar because my experience on stage is directing on stage is I've directed shows that have big budgets and I've directed shows that have very little budget. And I found that when you have very little budget or you have more constraints, you need to be more creative uh, because you can't just throw money at something or you can't just say, oh yeah, well, get rid of that and bring something else in. You got to make something out of what you have. And, and so I always enjoyed those small shows where you only, you know, you know, it's like the guys in Apollo 13, right? You got to make this out of this, you know, and, and uh, the filter like, scene. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great scene, isn't it? Yeah. yeah and, it is uh, a great scene. And, and so it's just, so I always, I always find that and and um, when I, you know, when I go to make audio drama, with, I like the constraints. I like writing with Lothar. I like, you know, and, and going back and forth and, and just kind of putting limits on each other and saying, you know, like we talked about the exquisite corpse this morning thing, you know, it can only, I think it was like eight pages or something like that. Right. You can only write eight pages and you can only read the one that just came before it. You can't read the other ones, you know? And, and from there, it's like, it just, the story goes all kinds of crazy ways. And, and um, I know, you know, Bill used to write that way a lot, you know, he never knew where Bill's was going to go. And um, um, like that. So, so yeah, I don't know if Tanya is, has something to say on that. We just got a question from Bob Arnold too. Which is during this um, Friday, okay. yeah. Yeah, so so I, I would say that I kind of, I'm more on the side where I'd like to just 
make different episodes of different lengths, have various amounts of actors in it from one to the next. Um, I'm more like, I just, I don't follow as much of a, a format, which I would be fine with as well. But I find that with Lightning Bolt, it's a podcast that has different styles, genres, and then episodes vary in length from one to the next. And I think that's kind of what I enjoy more is just because I feel like I can't, I can't mess it up or I can't make a mistake and change it up from the other episodes to, to the point where it's jarring. But that said, the fantasy shows and things like that, those are all anywhere between 10 and 15 minutes a piece. And I find that doing the shorter episodes keeps people's attention, I think, more because it's less time to commit to listen to it unless you know you have a nice long stretch of time where you can sit down and enjoy like an hour or longer, which we have a couple of pieces of that nature as well. They're more of like a movie for your mind rather than uh, a series. But the shorter episodes are a lot less intimidating to produce. So anything like three to five uh, scenes per episode, you can get it knocked out a lot quicker and out there on more of a schedule than some of these other things. I guess my answer is a, a little bit unclear. It's sort of in a little bit in both places. I do like having that freedom, but at the same time, knowing, okay, I don't have to go beyond 15 minutes for this shorter episode is also kind of a, a nice formula to follow. So Tanya, it all depends you, on what you're looking to do. Yeah, Tanya, you just Sorry. answered Bob's question. Was that on purpose? Uh, no. <laughs> it wasn't? <laughs> no, really, no. Do you want it to get well, I'll read the question in case someone didn't say, how do each of you define story structure and how important is structure to you when writing? Tanya, you're you're hiding from the boss at the moment and your microphone's open. So you want to go ahead and and (laughs) ruminate on that? Yeah. um, So the, the structure of the story, for me, generally, when I write, I like to focus more on the character development than the plot necessarily. Although I think plot is hugely important and it's a a balance that you have to consider between both. You obviously want to move the plot forward, but I personally, as an actor, enjoy the challenge of a a nice story revolving around the growth of a character or maybe circumstances the character goes through that aren't, uh, that are taxing in some way emotionally or maybe in, in terms of the gamut of what they're dealing with day to day situations. So Character development is a lot of fun to write out and plan and have arcs of um, where the characters shift and change and the villain shifts uh, from season to season kind of thing. That comes from the 90s shows I used to watch, I guess. But (laughs) I guess um, figuring out where you want to go. Do you want to have a balance of plot and character? Do you want to focus on just plot while the characters are less in the foreground? Or would you like to have a little bit of, of both? Um, and then once you figure that out, I think it's going to be a lot easier to outline your story, but also keep in mind when you're outlining that you'll know some of the big milestones that you want to reach, but you won't know necessarily the details of how you're going to get there. And that's okay. Because when you're writing the individual episodes, it's just going to kind of flow as it goes. And then if you have a co-writer helping you, then two heads are better than one. So someone else will pick up on, on holes, plot holes, maybe character development improvements you can make or they can make, you can write a chapter, they write a chapter and you just go from there and collaborate. So that's, uh, hopefully that, that helps. <laughs> Covers it beautifully. Uh, gentlemen, that, that, someone want to take well, this. Yeah, I just wanted, I want to say that um, what you said, Tanya, about the 15 minute episode, 
Um, I like that. I remember listening to, and it's how I met Bill Holwig when they were first doing Jake Sampson. And it was the first, you know, the first few shows were really pulpy and they were like 15 minutes long. You know, it was a cliffhanger and, and uh, you know, I loved that for them. And then they tended to get a little bit longer. Uh, but um, I like that. I like to try and keep it in the, you know, 20 to 30 minute range myself for, for an episode um, as we go. But, I, and now getting to what you just, what we just talked about in terms of structure and trying to answer Bob's question. Oh, good, the cat's leaving. Um, uh, Always good news. It's a little warm down here, you know. And, uh, but I, I, before I say this, I want Jack, if he's listening, to like turn his audio off because every time I talk about this, he starts to sweat and I he might pass out. But um, when I go to write something, I'll just put a lot of stuff in and then all of a sudden it'll come out and I'll just write it and I don't plan it. I don't do anything. I, I might have a couple, like, like Tanya said, a couple places, milestones to hit. And when I used to do a lot of, I done, I did a lot of one man live shows and things like that. And I know Lo Fi, you've done that too. You know, and I, I never had notes. I just had like milestones to hit, you know, or, or story points that might be 10 of them or whatever that I wanted to make sure I got to. And if I got off track, I could get back to it. Um, so I may have milestones I want to hit or ideas in the end, but other than that, I'm just writing it. I'm just getting it all out of the paper. And then I'm going to try to make sense out of it, out of it later. And that's when I send it to Lothar and Jack, and, you know, and say, Hey, does this make sense? Uh, but so I don't really pay attention to uh, story structure. Uh, I just, I just get it all out there. And then later I'll go back and maybe form it into something that makes sure that, you know, it, it has some kind of progression to it. So that, that's what I do with story. I take a um, approach where my first thought is, okay, I got the idea for a story. I either went out and got it or it just came to me. I go, I want to work with that. Once I get it to the form of it's almost like a dream, I can feel the aesthetic world. I can feel where it's going. I can feel what I want to do with it. Then I pick what type of tools I can use to help me create a structure. And I think it's really important for every writer, especially beginning writers, to remember that the map is not the territory and mm -hmm. five act structure, three act structure, the hero's yeah. journey, whatever tool you want to use, that is not the territory. And sometimes it's not the right map to get you to where you want to go. Don't be constrained by the map. Um, use your tools, play around with different things, play around with Shakespearean five-act structure, play around with traditional three-act structure from a Western world, play around with some of the other ones from other cultures that are even weirder. Um, when you do things like one of Jack's big, you know, things that he loves is the hero's journey. I am not such a big fan of the hero's journey, but what I will recognize the hero's journey is good for is it represents initiatory tales where someone goes from one state of existence to another. If you are doing a picaresque story, you probably don't want to use the hero's journey because you're working against that particular type of story. If you're doing a what an anti-hero story, and by that I'm using the older Greek term, we now think of the word anti-hero to represent a slightly morally gray hero or you know, like a Wolverine from Marvel Comics or something like that. Originally, the term anti-hero and hero meant a hero is someone who took action within a narrative, within a dramatic narrative, and an anti-hero was someone who did not act and just had things acting upon them. So if you're writing an anti-hero story from that point of view, you're not going to use the hero's journey because the whole point of that tale is to probably say, this person 
is not doing anything and they're ending up exactly in the same place they were at the beginning of the story. And that might be the point. So use your tools appropriately. Don't let them use you and play around with all sorts of different structures and find, you know, maybe some of the best things that we, you know, see in art is because they transcend it. And that person was starting off here and they brought something else in. And all of a sudden it's, you know, become its own new type of structure that other people want to copy now because you just broke the mold. And you just, when you said that, I mean, you just brought, years ago I taught film and, uh, you know, I, you made me think of Citizen Kane, right? So when, mm -hmm. when Wells makes Citizen Kane and um, was it 41, 43, whatever it was, um, it didn't, people didn't care for it because they were like, what is this? We've, I've never seen anything like this. And, and, you know, now you see movies now and everyone, not everyone, but so many people have adopted a similar structure to what, wells did with citizen kane uh, you know that it, now it's become more more commonplace so so that I, I try not to get too hung up on any kind of structure i just try to tell the story i want to tell and then you know see where it goes and i i as as a consumer of audio drama um like when you did Degasian uh lothar which i absolutely adored you know the the whole structure you know when you're when you're first listening to Degazian and you're going as a, as an audience member, and I'm kind of going, I'm not quite sure what's going on. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, just because it's so layered and it's, but I love that as somebody who's listening to it. And then I'm like, this is so cool what you're doing with the story that, you know, and all that, you know, telling the story of the person in the hospital bed and all that in the bed, you know, and stuff like that. I'm going, this is fantastic. So when somebody breaks out of the mold or, or the way Bill used to tell stories, just like, like 2109, for example, if you've ever listened to 2109 or, or even um, Grog and Griffin, try to keep up with Grog and Griffin. You know, that's going about a million miles an hour. And, and I, I kind of liked that. I kind of liked being off my pins a little bit, listening to a story rather than be comfortable and sitting back and just letting it wash over me. I, I want to be more into it and being like, Oh, this is cool. What's going on? And um, so that's my feeling on that. I feel like I take elements from what both of you, both gentlemen are saying, because um, I, when I, you know, I started out writing fiction right out of school and didn't get very far with it. Um, and one of the beautiful things about moving to dramatic literature, play scripts or screenplays is uh, your page count goes way up when you're used to typing that much. But <laughs> A lot of, one of the things I ran into, I'd go back and look and there was always something lacking. There was always a kind of a thinness to what I was, I was initially writing when I was um, writing that way. And finally came to the conclusion, you know, at some point you gotta, you gotta write the story. And I firmly believe that a script is not a work of art. It's a blueprint for a work of art. It can be That's beautiful uh, in, in its own really way, good. but mostly it, you gotta be another writer to really appreciate a script, right? For radios or screen radio or screenplay or whatever, uh, a general populace, just they're not going to see that in the same way. So I started this habit of with every story after getting a couple of characters in a situation, just sitting down and writing it and actually started for whatever reason, uh, using an old manual typewriter that I picked up at a garage sound cleaned up. And that's nice. the only thing I use that for. Because nice. the thought of doing script writing on that thing is a, that's just a nightmare. Way too many typos. Word processors are wonderful. Uh, but that's, that's my moment, Jeff, to do what you're talking about, where it's just everything's out there. 
it usually does not resemble the fi the finished script because uh, when you're I'm done with that stage, I've got the world now and I've got the situation. I've got this little corner of the world where this thing happened, whatever the thing is. Right. And now I can go back and start building it scene by scene. And then it literally just becomes creating the story uh, line by line, which is to me the purest art, just making the decision. I'm writing this line here or I'm in inserting this music cue here because it goes there. You know, there's, there's a, a level firmly believe that if you're going to be an artist, any artist, there's like three stages. There's the imitative stage where you, you go, the, the artist goes to the museum with a sketch pad and sketches the, the grand masters as the beginning. And then we all go through a stage where you're, th there are rules. I have to follow the rules. This is where a lot of screenwriting books come in with uh, Sid Field and his three act structure and the act breaks, yep. and, which works, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but uh, you can get lost in that swamp where it's like, well, you know, this, I think this story is good, but it doesn't follow the rules. Eventually, I think where we all need to end up is that place where you're writing what comes next. And it, it doesn't make any more sense than, okay, why does the visual artist make this line instead of this line? Because, you know, yeah. how, did, how do they say about sculpting an elephant out of marble? Well, you get the chisel and you start removing everything that isn't an elephant. Right. And yeah, here we go. Yeah. 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 Something I, that I would I, give advice ahead, to, I, I just want to give advice to people out there if they're beginning um, uh, writers, which is in line with what um, Jeffrey was saying, and I might be losing my thought. I hope I don't do it. That would be really embarrassing. It's happened to all of us. Oh, um, sure <laughs> even yes. happened to the cat once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it did. Um, <laughs> She's sleeping now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Now we really lost it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely lost it. Oh, well. oh I'm floating. Do you want me to go and then you can think about it? Uh, it's Tanya's turn. Unless... In yeah, it's Tanya's turn. And maybe I'll think about it when, when it comes back. All right. um, I'm worried about her, though. She's at work. She's going to get in trouble. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm just running other there, tasks. Yeah, Tanya, you got something to add? Um, honestly, I haven't had as much experience with writing as you guys. So I, I don't think I have too much okay. valuable input to add, except um, that. I mean, I think that the if you can make it simple in terms of how it's represented visually um, for people when they're browsing through, it definitely helps actors uh, kind of wade through the material. And then also something I found really helpful is if there's like a quick description of that character's arc, if any like any notes that you want the character or the actor to hit on for that that role for that episode or maybe that that uh, series of episodes they're recording they should keep in mind that maybe they're recording satellite and you're not there to direct them a including that at the very beginning of the script or even in an email to them really helps them ground themselves as they're starting to to record and then offering the hey here's the script let me know if you have questions um mm -hmm. what have you any annotations in there for your actors is is very very helpful if you can forgot, if and if you think about, it's important. Uh, forgot about cast lists. Yes, I, I am all for cast lists now, and I keep forgetting them. So to my actors, I apologize. <laughs> I remember oh, no, I what I was going to say. Go 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 I would advise uh, anybody who's uh, if they only read genre fiction, you're reading a lot of story structure that is pretty standard. That's kind of mm -hmm. the point of genre. If you read more literary fiction, especially some of the more experimental or subversive writers, 
you will see stories told that completely blow your expectations. You read Hu Hubert Selby Jr. that did Last Exit to Brooklyn, or um, you know maybe people are more familiar with um, uh, oh, another story that I'm blanking on right now. But uh, Cormac McCarthy is another one. Brett Easton Ellis. Okay. These are people to where you'll read them and they are using style to be its own type of structure. And that yeah. can be very freeing because you go, now I've got more tools in my box and I don't just have, you know, the audio equivalent of third person past tense, tell the story from A to B to C to D and move on through. Um, yeah. And the, the other thing I would say uh, is uh, in regards to Tanya's comment about uh, emails to people and everything is pronunciation guides if you use any unusual words or names. And yes. one thing I'm noticing a lot more prevalently in the last few years is people finding unusual names with diphthongs in them. And EIs and IEs can be pronounced all sorts of different ways on your region. If you want a consistent pronunciation, pick standard words, standard names, or provide a pronunciation guide. And we're audio, so you can just say it and send it over. I agree. Even with ways of phonetically spelling it out. To go back to what Jeff was saying a little while ago, in terms of the writing process, that <laughs> I think that it's important for us, for, uh, I used to do an exercise sometimes where we do imitation writing. So you take an author and you do, you know, you write your own story, but you imitate their style. And what it gave people a extra, more syntax in there, you know, it just gave them a little more tools and a little more confidence in their writing. But the other, other thing was in teaching acting for all those years, um, you know, we would teach, um, you know, Meisner technique and Uta Hagen technique and all these different techniques with the idea that, just like you said, Jeffrey, you know, we're going to give you a foundation, right? A theory foundation and a practice foundation. And then your job is to just kind of, it's kind of a postmodern idea, you know, just to, you know, I'm going to let that all go and then I'm just going to make it my own. I'm not just putting myself just because I'm not going to be a, a Meisner actor or a Stanislavski actor or, you know, it's everything. It's, it becomes my own. I internalize it all. And so I, I think that it's good to, to, you know, you mentioned the Sid Field book, which was kind of the standard for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah. Three movie structure, you know, but it's, it's not bad to read that stuff because you do get some kind of a foundational grounding, you know, Oh, okay. But now I can take it and take it to all kinds of different levels. Mm -hmm. um, of my own, but I need some kind of a foundation in there so that I can build on that foundation. Um, so that's how I always felt about, about writing and acting and, you know, get a foundation and then go off on your own and, you know, make it your own. And don't be afraid of, of sticking to a form. Or starting with that, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, you wonder how many science fiction careers were launched by Star Trek. Right. Oh, sure. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 That, that's Star Trek. Every every episode started the same way. You watch. You love that show, and you watch it as a kid, or as a young adult. You you have this amazing masterclass. Um, it's mm -hmm. almost to the point where people with no interest in drama at all will understand. Okay, this is going to start with an establishing shot of the Starship Enterprise, and and William Shatner's voice, Captain's log, blah 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 blah. Right. We're here. And then it's almost always going to go to the bridge and then something happens and on and on. Um, well, I understand that our time is about up uh, 4.30. The next one of these doohickeys is entitled Writing Seminar Special. 
exclusively for MadCon, or are we not exclusive? I thought, we, was he broadcasting this on <laughs> TNN or something? Uh, with Neil Jones and Peter Reynolds. Um, so, not sure. I, I, I suppose closing thoughts. Uh, this has been this has been a lot of fun, gentlemen, and uh, you've given me a lot to think about, and also some more things to uh, to listen to. Because, like a lot of podcasters, I have to confess, I don't listen nearly enough. Lothar's laughing because he's probably right there with me. <laughs> I do the exact same thing. I am so behind. Oh, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I know. I one of our me actors, too. actually, the president of our organization. He's he has some kind of attention span issue. He listens to everything at double time. I know he, people like that. Oh, I can't. And it's not just drama. He listens to a lot of NPR news. Well, I mean, we're up to 2 million podcasts. I'm led to understand wow. in the world. 2 wow. million podcasts. Wow. Um, wow. For perspective, the American Film Institute says in the whole history of movies, Hollywood and Bollywood and everywhere, there's like 40,000 films. And that took a century. So be good so you can separate yourself from the crowd. Well, that's yeah. good. I just want to say Star Trek, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's a trope or not, but, you know, with, uh, you always waited for those guys with the red shirts to come on. Right? Yeah. You knew exactly what was going to happen to them. <laughs> the away party and, with, uh, with Spock, you know, Kirk, Bones, and a guy in a red shirt. Yeah, and the guy in the red shirt, right? And, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I, I used to love the emails I'd get from Bill Holweg and go, you want to play a red shirt in my... Uh, my audio drama, I'd be sure, you know, I knew I was going to die. So, you know, you know, so it was funny, but uh, you're right about Star Trek. There's no question about it. Jack does say he listens at podcasts at double time, except for audio drama. Jack, it's says, just one, Jack says that uh, it's just one and a quarter. Jack, if you're listening, um, I'm trying to wrap it up, but I don't know what to do. <laughs> do we just all sign off. Do you come on and sign us off? I promoted your next thing, the 4.30. Oh, we're all great. Thank you so much, everybody, for uh, showing up. It's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you, Jeff, for moderating it. It's great. And I know that we're moving off to other things. There's, of course, the workshop going on very shortly for those people that are interested in that. And we'll see the rest of you back here at when? 8 o'clock? 7 Eastern? Sorry, eight o'clock my time, seven years. <laughs> there you go. That's why I'm thinking eight. I my thought, isn't it seven, Jeff? Okay. Seven Eastern. Yeah. Seven Eastern, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. Eight o'clock Atlantic. That's why I was saying eight o'clock. So seven oh, Eastern oh, 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 okay. <laughs> in my own head. Wonderful to see you all. Thank you. Have a Thank great you, night. Jack. Right on. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. This was so much fun. Yes. And I, Tanya, I think, uh, yes. Yes. Thank you for listening to Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. We invite you to continue the amazing audio tomorrow on Mutual with the Monday Matinee. Our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio dramas. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed every day for the world's largest curated collection of audio drama. Or find the Monday Matinee feed in your favorite podcast players. See you tomorrow at the matinee, and thanks so much for listening.